Hey, Time Machine, here's a fun question for you. Shoot. Of all the literary hunks in the entire chick lit canon, who do you think is the hottest? Are you into brooding psychos like Heathcliff? Or maybe you're into slightly rude antisocial types like Mr. Darcy? Ew. Pass. Times two. Yeah, you know, hearing it out loud, I am starting to be like, huh, not giving us much to work with, are they? Yeah, screw those pale English crybabies. I'm solidly hashtag Team Jacob. Oh, time machine, are you a Twilight stan? You know it, Mama likes them hairy and wild. Oh boy, okay, let's keep this show moving. From ZSP Media, this is Past Perfect, the trivia show that travels through time. I'm your host, Simone Polanin. If you like books for chicks, by chicks, about chicks, then you've probably read a chicklet title or two. But is that term a diss, a badge of honor, or just a marketing ploy? Well, one thing's for sure. It's the theme of today's trivia. So earmark this page. We'll start our game and meet our guests after the break. Hello, I am very excited to introduce our two guests today. They are readers, writers, and authorities on Chicklet. They've co-authored a choose-your-own-adventure-style historical romance novel. They've reimagined Taylor Swift as a plucky girl detective. And today, they are about to go head-to-head in the trivia arena. Our guests today are Larissa Zagaris and Kitty Curran. Hello. Hello. I, it's so like a WWE. Like I wanted to walk out <laughs> in this corner. <laughs> you know, I think audio listeners like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Kitty and I would look good in glow outfits. Yeah, I, you can, I can see. I can picture it. <laughs> it's our dream. The LeMay, the, the yes. fog machines. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Next next book tour. I'm feeling oh, Flight, of, Flight of the Valkyries, maybe, mm-hmm. for the opening. Ooh, right. <laughs> really get charged up. I am so excited to have you today. I love that you have this um, WWE mentality because that's exactly the type of show that we are. (laughs) You know, I would argue that part of what you guys do in your work is you explore the chick lit genre. Um, and that's something that we will be diving into today. The term chiclet or is sort of an interesting one because I feel like on on one hand it's it's a really celebrated and, and beloved genre. Um, on the other hand, people use that term to be dismissive. Um, so I'm curious, how do you both relate to the term chiclet, Larissa? I think that it's something like. You know, we both grew up like destroyed teenagers of like the 90s and uh, early aughts. Like chiclet was like ill and you would, you know, act like you didn't like it. Meanwhile, like anytime like a whisper of romance happened across the PBS screen, I was like, I love this. I think it's something that like now people can reclaim easily because you're like, oh, the 90s try to take you from me, but you're mine. It does feel like it's been reclaimed, you know, like people are proud to brandish chiclet. And it's like, so what if my book has a martini glass on the cover? (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Kitty? How do you feel about the term chiclet? I basically had a romance novel problem, if you will, in the 90s (laughs) in that uh, um, I picked one up um, and it was a Julia Quinn book. And this is obviously you know, several decades before Bridgerton. Um, and I started reading and I was like, wait, this is actually funny on purpose. And this is 
actually entertaining and good. And I went from being this thing I was going to show my friends to laugh at to be like, I don't want to show it to my friends. I don't want them to laugh at it. I I, I am actually enjoying this. Um, so I actually end up kind of getting my sister into it. And we kind of had like this guilty cupboard, that guilty cupboard. romance <laughs> that we would kind of get. Like, and both of us would kind of, you know, use our allowance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had a... A smut cupboard is what you had. <laughs> well, they weren't all smut. That's the thing. Chiclets, a lot of the time, can is stuff that's written by women for women. So, you know, if you want yeah. to read, as a woman, a thriller where there is a fully fleshed out female character who has fun sex, saves the day, and is still alive at the end of the book, you have to pick up a romance thriller. Mm. Uh, if you... Uh, or a guy, you could have the exact same story with, you know, a love interest and everything like that. And that would just be a thriller. Yeah, you know, so I didn't know this, but um, the term chiclet actually emerged in the 90s as a response to a similar term, ladlet, which was um, this genre from around the same time that explored the emotional lives of young men. Uh, but personally, when I think of chiclet, I think of the 19th century. <laughs> like my mind goes to like Jane Austen and the Bronte sisters. Yes. You know, I'm like, if there's a governess in your story, I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in our first round today, we are going to explore the history of chiclet um, in our very first round of trivia, which we are calling. Which came first? Uh, I'm going to tell you about two moments in history, at least one of which will be chick lit related, and you'll have to tell me which moment came first. Make sense? Yes. I wanted this to be the governess round. (laughs) (laughs) The governess round. The governess round. (laughs) Larissa, you've got our first question. Um, Here it is. Which came first? The very first Nancy Drew mystery, The Secret of the Old Clock, or the real-life mysterious disappearance of the Lindbergh baby. So I need to get this right because I have a Nancy Drew tattoo. She's kind of my thing. Mm. But I want to say Lindbergh is 20s. So I think it's the Lindbergh baby first because I think Nancy Drew started in the 30s at the earliest. That's my guess. Larissa, I'm sorry. That is incorrect. They're going to take my membership card. (laughs) The Secret of the Old Clock came first. Uh, It was first published on April 28th, 1930. So you were right about Nancy coming in the 30s. In the book, the unflappable 16-year-old detective helps solve an inheritance dispute. Very Uh chic. Um... (laughs) Between 1930 and 2003, 175 Nancy Drew novels were published, all under the pseudonym Carolyn Keene. In reality, there were lots of writers working under that name. Almost every new Nancy Drew title became a bestseller in its category. Go, girl. And it wasn't until two years later, in 1932, that the mystery of the Lindbergh baby gripped the nation. 
Dang it. That's like on a hair. Um, so they were very close. Man, I don't have a baby tattoo, though. I have a Nancy Drew tattoo. So at least I was right on her dates. <laughs> there you go. There you go. For those who aren't familiar with the Lindbergh baby kidnapping, it was a story that gripped the nation on the evening of March 1st of 1932. The son of famous aviator Charles Lindbergh was taken from his bed in East Amwell, New Jersey. And the story actually inspired the work of another very famous kid lit author, writer of Where the Wild Things Are, Maurice Sendak. What? I had no idea. Guys, guys, also like the new Perry Mason. Come on. (laughs) Yeah, come on. Lest we forget. (laughs) Lest lest we forget. (laughs) Um, All right. I have got another question. And Kitty, this one is for you. Which came first? The release of the iconic novel, The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Or... First sisters Jenna and Barbara Bush are busted for underage drinking. <laughs> oh gosh, this is a this is a early two thousands question. Um, God, they really feel like this. These were happening within the same year, so I am just gonna uh, pull this one out of my ass here and just go traveling <laughs> pants. Traveling pants came first. Kitty, that is incorrect. <laughs> So you're right. This was an early 2000s question, but the Bush sisters got busted first. On June 1st of 2001, the first daughters were cited by police for attempting to buy alcohol at Tex-Mex restaurant Chewy's in Austin, Texas. Um, The twin sisters were 19 at the time and had shown another person's ID to buy drinks. The manager at Chewy's, freaking narc, if you ask me, um, called the police to report the minors. If you can't be 19 years old and drinking at a Tex-Mex restaurant, what can you do, you know? It was legal drinking age. I remember when it got reported in the British press, it was all a bit like, but really? 19? Mm -hmm. You know, they can vote, but they can't drink. Making the argument every teenager has made in America for... As long as they, hey, you know what? It's a pretty good argument. If I can serve in the military, I want a giant frozen margarita as well. (laughs) Now, the sisterhood of the traveling pants didn't come out until a few months later. So, Kitty, they were very much within the same vicinity. Um, Unfortunately, the book did come out on September 11th, 2001. Oh my god! Ouch. Um, that didn't stop the book from becoming a success, though. Oh, man. Um, the book went on to be a New York Times bestseller. It spawned four sequels, uh, and followed the story of four high school best friends who all mysteriously fit into the same pair of jeans despite their different sizes and shapes. Ah, what a beautiful premise for a book. And a beautiful lie. (laughs) A beautiful (laughs) lie. (laughs) All right. Uh, Larissa, we are going to go back to you. Okay, redemption. Which came first? Hit novel Confessions of a Shopaholic bursts onto the scene. Or actress Winona Ryder is caught shoplifting from Saks Fifth Avenue. Winona Ryder may be a double felon, but she's a double felon with a very big heart and a very generous spirit. Okay, I feel that that felt like in my later teens, the Winona, and it was scandalizing to me, yet I also appreciated her for it. Um, I think Shopaholic came first. 
Larissa, oh my God. you are correct. Yes. <laughs> yes. Confessions of a Shopaholic came first. Uh, the book came out in the UK in September of 2000 with the title The Secret Dream World of a Shopaholic. Ooh, I remember the cover. The book also then came out in the US in February of 2001. Uh, it was all about Becky Bloomwood, a financial journalist who ironically had a bit of a spending problem, <laughs> uh, especially when it came to clothes. Uh, which brings us to our girl, Winona Ryder. In December of 2001, she was arrested at Saks in Beverly Hills for allegedly stealing about $5,000 worth of merchandise. Uh, Store security observed her removing security tags from a Marc Jacobs sweater, among many other items, and shoving them into her bag. But (laughs) she stole it, stole it. Yeah, taking the security (laughs) tags off is a pretty bold move. Um... But you know what? In the end, Winona came out on top because she has since starred in two separate Marc Jacobs ad campaigns following the incident, (laughs) one in 2003 and again in 2022. I love it. So kids, if you're listening, do crimes. (laughs) Do crimes prosper. Yes, do crimes and prosper. (laughs) I love it. Select the brand that you wish to represent. All right, Kitty, you have got our last question of the round. Which came first? Daphne de Maurier's gothic novel Rebecca, in which a young woman agrees to marry a wealthy widower, or the Married Women's Property Act, which allowed women in the state of New York to retain property separately from their husbands? Okay. I mean, Rebecca, I feel, is the movie came out in the 30s. I think the book also came out in the 30s. Married Women's Property Act, I mean, I wonder if this is a trick question and that people were trying to get it to happen and it took an embarrassingly long amount of time. Um, That said, I'm going to be hopeful for the world and the universe and say it's the the Women's uh, Property Act, but I think I might be really disappointed in this one. (laughs) Kitty, your hope has led you to the correct answer. I'm happy to report Women got this one. <laughs> it's not like it's the vote or anything. Well, no, it's not quite the vote. It's, it's married women get to have property, which, you know, uh, baby steps, I guess. Um, in 1848, New York State passed the Married Women's Property Act, which was designed to allow married women to own and control their own property. Shout out to married women. Um It wasn't until the mid-19th century that individual states began passing similar laws in the U.S. Uh, Prior to this, essentially anything a woman owned independently became her husband's uh, once they married. Rebecca, you were right about this, Kitty, wasn't published until much later. The book came out in 1938. Uh, The story's unnamed protagonist agrees to marry wealthy Englishman Maxim de Winter and goes to live with him at his estate Manderley. Which I'm like, those names are just red flags on their own, no? <laughs> yeah. Also, don't go move into an estate. Don't do it. Like, you know it's bad. Like, is it going to be ghosts or, like, some sort of skeleton in the closet? Well, in this case, it was uh, a specter of DeWinter's ex-wife, Rebecca, <laughs> who looms large in the home and proves to be very disturbing to his new wife. I love that book. And that brings us to the end of our first round which means it is time to check in on our scores. Uh, We have got our producer, Laura Newcomb, here on the line, who's been keeping track. Laura, 
How's it looking? Hello. It is one-to-one, all tied up right now. Okay, beautiful. That's right, that's right. Like, I'm getting my my uh, sequins buffed in the corner. Like, <laughs> yeah. kitty's stretching. We have, like, glittery books. We're, like, whipping around in the air. We, we do. <laughs> Great. Yes. <laughs> Well, I'm excited. We're just one round in. Anything can happen. All tied up. Which brings us to the next round in our Chick Lit Trivia Smackdown. This is called... The Sound Round. Ooh. Uh, The way this works is I will play a clip from a movie adaptation of a Chick Lit novel. um, And you will have to tell me what the movie is. Kitty, you are going to go first... Okay. Here is your first clip. That blue represents millions of dollars and countless jobs. And it's sort of comical how you think that you've made a choice that exempts you from the fashion industry when, in fact, you're wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room. That was The Devil Wears Prada. Oh, you have that ready to go, Kitty. From the moment I heard Meryl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are correct. We both had like a bodily reaction to that <laughs> I monologue. S- <laughs> I saw it. I saw, I saw the, the light in your eyes just like brightened. <laughs> yes, that is the iconic Cerulean monologue from the movie adaptation of The Devil Wears Prada. Not lapis, not turquoise. Cerulean. (laughs) Cerulean. (laughs) The book came out in 2003. It was a thinly veiled version of author Lauren Weisberger's experience working for Anna Wintour at Vogue magazine. In the movie, Meryl Streep plays Miranda Priestly, the editor-in-chief of Runway magazine. And Anne Hathaway plays her idealistic young assistant, Andy Sachs. I am not skinny or glamorous, and I don't know that much about fashion. (laughs) All right. Um, I have got another movie clip for us to listen to. Larissa, this one is for you. Okay. Okay. Let's take a listen. As a woman, there's no way for me to make my own money. Not enough to earn a living or to support my family. And if I had my own money, which I don't, that money would belong to my husband the moment we got married. So don't sit there and tell me that marriage isn't an economic proposition because it is. Oh, my God. I cannot believe I don't I know this monologue and I cannot place the movie at all what's floating around in your brain right now what's uh what's bouncing around I'm like getting it confused with like all these erotic thrillers I watched recently but I I, I'm getting it screwed up so I think I'm just gonna it's wrong but I'm gonna call it when Harry met Sally I know I'm wrong just I just want to know what the right answer is. So I feel it's a period one, and I have a feeling I know which one it is. But I yeah. Well, what do you think it is? I'm not. I'm not going to get it. But what do you think it is? I think it might be Mona Lisa's smile. I don't know. Me? Oh, like you think? Oh no, no, no. Is it um Pretty Woman? Maybe. It is none of the above. God damn it! But your last guess, weirdly, in title was kind of close. This is from. The 2019 adaptation of Little Women. That's what it is. Yes. In my brain, I'm like, Chicklets from the 90s. And <laughs> Little Women is from way longer ago. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that's actually Florence Pugh. It's Florence. Yeah, it's Florence. Because they made Amy not a brat. Well, she's mm-hmm. a different brat. Mm-hmm. A brat with yeah. a purpose. <laughs> yes. This was... From Little Women, Louisa May Alcott's book about the four March sisters, which came out in 1868 and has been adapted for TV and film 
many, many times. There are seven <laughs> movie adaptations. Dang. This one just happens to be from Greta Gerwig's 2019 version. Such a great one. In that adaptation, Florence Pugh plays Amy March, the baby of the March family. And, you know, historically, Amy is like not the most liked character. <laughs> I think a lot of people think of her as the He's villain. The worst. Historically the worst. Yeah. <laughs> but in this movie, you know, you noted that Florence is a much more likable Amy. Greta and Florence actually worked together to portray Amy in a more relatable way. And our queen, Meryl Streep, makes another appearance in this one. She plays Aunt March in the movie. Oh, yes. She suggested that viewers needed to be reminded of how different life was for women in the 1800s in order to understand Amy's perspective. Yeah, that's Meryl knows what she's talking about. Mm -hmm. She's a smart lady. I may not always be right, but I'm never wrong. Kitty, I have got another clip for you. Um, Let's take a listen. I realized that when I met you at the turkey curry buffet that I was unforgivably rude. But the thing is, um, what I'm trying to say very inarticulately is that, um, in fact, perhaps despite appearances, I like you very much. That was, that was too easy. That was Bridget Jones' diary. And that was, I believe, Colin Firth playing Mark Darcy. It sure was. Yes, the man at the turkey curry buffet was Colin Firth in the 2001 movie Bridget Jones's Diary. Uh, The book by Helen Fielding came out in 1996 and was itself an adaptation of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. In the movie, Colin Firth plays Mark Darcy, Bridget's somewhat awkward love interest, and Renee Zellweger stars as every woman Bridget Jones. There's a famous first line in Pride and Prejudice. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Uh, That shows up in the book and movie when Bridget says, It's a truth universally acknowledged that the moment one area of your life starts going okay, another part of it falls spectacularly to pieces. I remember when it first came out, though it was it was a newspaper column, right? It was com- it was coming out the same time the 1996 BBC Pride and Prejudice came out. I remember because these were formative times in my hormonal years, um, <laughs> and we were all kind of watching the BBC Pride and Prejudice whilst also reading them. It was all kind of like a played almost like it was a real person's diary, and then people were like, oh no, right? It's just it's just a story she's telling. Wait, his last name's Darcy, kind of like. <laughs> wait, wait a second. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> um, all right, we have got one final clip in our sound round. Larissa, you are up. Okay, all right, all right, all right. I'm like crawling up the ring. I'm trying to redeem myself. We'll see. I write a letter when I have a crush so intense that I don't know what else to do. Rereading my letters reminds me of how powerful my emotions can be. How all-consuming. And Margot would say I'm being dramatic, but I think drama can be fun. Okay, I do know this is to all the boys I've loved before. And I can't, I know the actress's name. I don't know her name, but Lana Condor, right? Like that's who's the... Mm-hmm. Lara Jean, yes. It's about you a half-age so gal 
who has got sisters. One of them is called Kitty, and also she has a romance novel thing, Guiltily. It was kind of very much like, a, this was made for teenage me. Oh, and adult yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> I remember turning to my husband at the time and be like, is this what white people feel like all the time? Because it really <laughs> was just kind of like, oh, wow. I feel so represented right now. <laughs> you know, I loved that both of you were basically like dancing while the clip was playing. So good. To make it official, Larissa, you got this one correct. Yes, redemption. This is from To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Uh, Jenny Han's 2014 young adult novel about Laura Jean Covey. Covey. A 16-year-old in Virginia who keeps a secret stash of love letters to her crushes in her closet. Um, Age-appropriate drama and romance ensue when her letters mysteriously get out. Uh, author Jenny Han made a cameo in the movie version of the book as a chaperone at a school dance. And the book has two sequels. P.S. I Still Love You and Always and Forever, Lara Jean, uh, both of which have also been adapted for the screen by Netflix. You know, I think To All the Boys is a great opportunity to talk about a specific subgenre of chiclet, which is young adult chiclet. Yes. Um, I personally was a rabid consumer of these types of books <laughs> when I was younger. Um, Meg Cabot like ruled my life. Yes. Um, she wrote Princess Diaries, among others. Uh, you've both written for a younger audience. I'm curious, in your opinion, what separates young adult novels from other genres? Because it's not just young people reading these books. You know, I still... We'll read young adult every once in a while. Well, I think when you're writing for young adult, it can feel, you know, a little more pure because it's like someone's first romance or it's just way less jaded than romance for adults. People read it almost like as fantasy because they're like, oh, it, you wouldn't meet someone without certain strikes against them or like it would or, you know, it's like a really cute setup and kind of a cute world. But I think that with young adult, you can tell different love stories in all sorts of settings with all sorts of characters because it's like usually the character's first or second time feeling those feelings. I mean, not quite young adult, but I've recently dipped my toe into writing uh, middle grade. Um, so um, it just came out this year. Grave Mistakes, the date family novel. Um, but Chill, chill, chill. But what they, um, one of the things I kind of had come up was this kind of the fantasy of the kids knowing better than the adults, I think, was something I was uh, very much encouraged oh. to uh, push. And quite frankly, you know what? Looking back at the time in the 90s, I think a lot of us kids did have it right compared with uh, what the adults were doing. Yeah. I, you know, I like to adopt that philosophy myself, even though technically I am an adult. I'm like, yeah, screw those adults. Yeah. Damn the man. <laughs> well, on that note, we are going to wrap up the first half of our game. And uh, I'd love to check in on those scores. So, Laura... Let us know, where do Larissa and Kitty stand? Yes, it is three to two. So Kitty, you have a little bit of a lead here. Yes. All right, well, I can't wait to get to our final round. Uh, but before we do, we are going to take a little break. So don't go anywhere. We are turning the page when we come back. Welcome back, my authoresses. Larissa, Kitty. 
Um, how are you both feeling after these first two rounds? Um, well, I feel uh, quietly confident, but also terrified that uh, this is really much the uh, point in the, the midway point of the book. And so therefore, the person out <laughs> top is going to end up in the bottom and uh, Larissa may triumph yet. So we'll see. <laughs> I, I feel as I always do a bit like a scrappy underdog. Who's like along for the ride, having a good time, whether I win or lose. All right. We'll see how your narrative unfolds. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We are about to turn up the temperature because we have reached our final round. The lightning round. The lightning round. Oh, no. The way this works is I'll ask you a series of short answer trivia questions all related to Chicklet. You'll have 60 seconds to answer as many of them as you can. Oh, my God. If you don't know the answer, you can pass, and I'll go to the next question. Makes sense? Yes. This is how heroes fall. <laughs> I'm ready. All right. <laughs> uh, Kitty, since you are in the lead, you'll be going first. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> let's get 60 seconds on the clock. Stressful. Your time starts now. The 1995 movie Clueless is an adaptation of which Jane Austen novel? Emma. Correct. Where did Lena Caligaris travel for the summer in the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants? Grace. Correct. What Charlotte Bronte character kept his ex-wife Bertha in his attic? Mr. Rochester. Correct. What is the German term for a coming-of-age novel? Bildungsroman. Correct. What state did the Babysitter's Club series take place in? Oh, God, California. Connecticut. What 2012 thriller includes the famous cool girl monologue? Uh, Gone Girl. Correct. Where did Elizabeth Gilbert travel to pray and eat, pray, love? No idea. Bali. Who is the real-life writer Carrie Bradshaw plays on Sex and the City? I don't know. Candace Bushnell. Mia Thermopolis is a princess of what country in The Princess Diaries? Oh, God, I did know that. Uh... And that is time. It was Genovia. Oh, wow. That was a very strong, uh, strong showing, Kitty. Do you feel like you've done enough to secure a win? Um, I do not. I feel that, uh, you know, in this chick lit narrative, either I learn a hard lesson and uh, Larissa comes up on top, or we work out that pitting women against each other is not the way forward. <laughs> and we uh, join our forces and come out both on top at the end. It's going to be hilarious. All right. Well, I'm very curious to see how you do, Larissa. <sighs> okay. Um, just so you know, in order to beat Kitty, you'll need to answer seven correctly. <laughs> okay. No pressure. All pressure. It's within reach. Very much within reach. We're going to do it. We got it. Let's do it. (laughs) Okay. All right. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock. Your time starts now. Who plays Emily Dickinson on Apple TV's Dickinson? Haley Steinfeld. Correct. The Constance Billard School for Girls exists in which young adult series? Oh, I have no idea. Gossip Girl. Which famous TV writer adapted Julia Quinn's book series Bridgerton? Shonda Rhimes. Correct. What is the name of both an Emily Bronte book and a Kate Bush song? Oh, um, I'm like running up that hill. Wuthering Heights. (laughs) Correct. What brand was romance novel coverboy Fabio also a spokesperson for? Oh, I can't believe it's not butter. Correct. Which celebrity started her own book club in 2017? Reese. 
Witherspoon. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> the Monterey Five feature in which novel by Leanne Moriarty? Big Little Lies. Correct. Who authored the very first science fiction novel, Frankenstein? Mary Shelley. Correct. Where does The Handmaid's Tale take place? Uh, America. Gillian. Sorry. I don't. I think I didn't get that one. <laughs> but I think time ran out before we got the yeah. answer, sadly. You crushed that round, though. That wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it was terrifying. <laughs> well, I am... Ooh, just tingling with anticipation because uh, we are about to find out uh, who won today's game. I have a feeling it was really close. Really close. Laura, do we have an official winner? We have an official winner. It got extremely crazy in that lightning round. Uh, yeah, I guess everything changed at the midway point. Larissa, <laughs> you are not going to win. You called it. Larissa, <laughs> you got seven points for a total of nine points to Kitty's eight. I'm too icy and British. You had to go this way. The plucky American <laughs> wins. But I think this also goes to the chicklet and the romance of it all is like the best partnerships are evenly matched. Yeah. Uh, we all win. In the end, we all win. This was really great. Um, I feel like we've had like a chicklet seminar today. I feel like I've learned a lot. Um, but before we go, we've touched on so many different kinds of stories that fall under the chiclet umbrella. Um, I'd love it if we could just take a moment to pitch the genre to those who haven't dipped their toe in. Maybe, Kitty, I'll, I'll turn to you first. What is your pitch for chiclet? Um, I would say my pitch for chiclet is that it's um, a genre that encompasses all the other genres, um, but from a female perspective. And one that even if you're not a lady, you would do well to read on because, you know, it's roughly half of the world's population. Come on now. And I think if you turn off your sneering brain, uh, you will just have a very good time. Mm, turn off your sneering brain. I love that. That's that's just good life advice in general. Mm -hmm. I like Kitty's pitch. I, I, I second Kitty's pitch. And I also think you'll find any genre within the genre because it's a actually a huge misnomer of a genre unto itself. What do you two hope to see from the future of Chiclet? I hope to see um, wider recognition of Chiclet um, and have it be uh, appreciated rather than dismiss. The male voice is considered universal and the female voice is considered specific. And I think that is what I hope gets mixed up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's a very narrow, like, band of people represented. And it's usually, like, the thinnest, most beautiful. All due respect to the queens that we have had in the world of the show today. But your lead doesn't need to be, like, the perfect blonde. You know, like, the perfect blondes, like, we have a lot of them. Like, <laughs> let's have some other types of characters and types of stories. And I think everyone needs different stories not just the same 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 so that's what i hope for it yeah hopefully we'll see more people reading chiclet more types of stories represented in chiclet i'm into this future that you're painting bigger better glitterier richer well thank you again so much for playing today for joining me on the show it has been truly a blast i have had so much fun so did we thanks so much it was awesome Past Perfect is produced by ZSP Media. 
created by Zach Stewart-Pontier and me, Simone Polanin. This episode was written and produced by Laura Newcomb. The supervising producer is Liz Stiles and featuring Liz Stiles as the time machine. Fact-checking by Ian Michael, sound design and mixing by Robin Shore, original music and theme by Jay Bless, with show art by Sarah Gonzalez. The executive producer is Zach Stewart-Pontier. The head of production and development is Liz Stiles. Special thanks to Erica Morrison and Emily Wiedemann. You can follow me on Instagram at Simone Polanin or follow the show at Past Perfect Podcast. Thanks for hanging. We'll see you next week. Particularly if you are like me in the pursuit of both six pack abs and a fat ass at the same time. <laughs> yeah. It's so hard to achieve both at the same time. Let me tell you. I feel like I'm really good at achieving one and not the other. Or you know yeah. what? Sometimes you don't achieve either and <laughs> then you really have to sit with yourself. Sometimes you achieve a six pack on your ass. Yep. <laughs> Funny how life works. Perfect.